Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 8th of April 2013. I always start off by advising newcomers to look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com rather than pester you all the way through like most people do. And tell you to make good use of it. As I said, the website's got lots of uh, free audios for download. It's got transcripts for print up in English and all the sites you'll see listed at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. And you'll find transcripts in other languages of, of talks I've given in Alan Watt Sentin- Sentinel.eu so you can help yourselves to that. Remember too, you are the audience that bring me to you so don't bring on advertisers or guests that terrify you then sell you something to save you. And I don't uh, take money from sponsors or anything like that and uh, I don't make money on anything that, that's, that's sold it's outside the books basically that keeps me going because that pays for the satellites uh, and all the rest of the stuff i got here to keep this show on the road basically. So if you want to keep uh, keep me going, you can buy the books and discs at cuttingthroughthemedias.com or donate, hopefully, because times are getting really bad with austerity and all that stuff and inflation, which is now called quantitative easing. Uh, neurolinguistics is awfully good, isn't it? It sort of softens the blow. So as I say, you can buy the books and discs. And from the US to Canada, you can still get them using personal checks or international postal money orders from your post office, or you can send cash, or use PayPal. And across the world, you've got Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal. And once again, straight donations are really seriously welcome, because it costs a lot of cash to keep all this going, and equipment, and all the rest of it. Never mind the time. The time is something else completely. This is not a job. It's not a job. Believe you me, because you'd be crazy to take a job like this, because it's this morning till, till night. In fact, it's till the next morning, in fact, by the time I'm finished. And it's because I had to come out at the right time and change the course of the nonsense that was getting spouted at that time called Patriot Radio. And it was really nonsense. It was navel-gazing. It was not going into the world agenda, the whole big history behind this agenda, and the organizations and foundations and so on. They all worked together and had been working together for over a 100 years, not just to alter societies across the planet to suit themselves at the top, but to defeat all the countries too that would eventually be taken over and ruled by another group, in fact, a new dominant minority. Very, very wealthy indeed. And uh, they set up their first organizations openly, I should say, the first organizations that they publicly announced, which were foundations, multi-trillion dollar foundations that pretend to be charities, and they run thousands of non-governmental organizations across the world that give you all your public policies and things to protest about and everything else. And, of course, they also put their own members into governments. And uh, Carl Quigley, who was the personal historian for this group, the Council on Foreign Relations, Royal Institute of International Affairs, same group, uh, said that too, that they have their own version of history because they make history. The big boys at the top don't let things evolve by themselves or just happen. They always plan the future. That's how you keep control. And governments have been doing that for centuries and centuries because some governments were taken over long, long ago, like Britain. 
and Britain didn't raise itself to an empire status simply by having the manpower. It was the boys who came in with the cash that set it up. And then they moved out, of course, to the States. Then they used the States. Now it's world empire. Very, very simple. It's not hard to understand at all. Long history of it. And many professors know what I'm talking about, but they won't teach in their classes because they're prostitutes, basically. And there are archives of information that profess, some professors are allowed into, and some professors will admit that. One in maybe 80 professors will be allowed into real archives where real history is stored, and Carl Quigley was one of them. Professor Carl Quigley for the Royal Institute for International Affairs, Council on Foreign Relations. If you don't understand that, you'll understand nothing about what's happened and what's happening today and where it's going. Back after these messages. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix, and I've gone through much of the history, as I say, of the Royal Institute of International Affairs, and the guys who comprised it when they set it up, and they were, many of them were international moneylenders at the time. I say moneylenders because they lent to nations, and uh, uh, some of the richest guys on the planet set it up, in fact. And they had a private club, and they also had to get a vast army of outsiders as well to help work for them too, because there was a minority group, you might say, that ran it to start with. And uh, they planned to take over the world and shape it the way it should be, using science, of course, and uh, using uh, experts. Experts is a big, big part of it. And they would train the publics. They understood they could train the publics across the world into a different kind of system. They were all for the communist system, by the way, because communism is the fastest way to standardize the world and indoctrinate populations of people, billions of people, very quick to do. And then you can, at the same time, they would keep their, their particular capitalist system going because they were, they were the top capitalists of the world. They ran both sides of everything. Still do, by the way. China isn't independent any more than, than, than Russia was technically independent either. So... You're living through times of massive change, planned change by independent groups of people. Some of them are even ethnic groups, in fact. And uh, and you find that they wanted to alter, drastically alter, all, all the cultures of the Western world. And I've gone through the groups that got together at the end of World War II and were given uh, privileged positions to actually alter the cultures of the Western world, including the U.S., and some of them, uh, like the Frankfurt School, ran off to the U.S. and were set up. And the president set them up to alter the culture. They gave them permission to do it. They'd already studied how cultures are run and how to the culture industry would influence people's opinions and so on. And they were given basically carte blanche to do what they wanted to do. And we see the effects today under the guise of liberalization. But the intent was to, to get rid of the old dominant uh, minority classes, the dominant culture of America. I might say the white culture, in fact, uh, and technically the black culture as well, and replace it with something else, their own culture. But uh, here's an article that came out recently. And, of course, it's got folk kind of screaming about it, too, because they don't know what to make of it. But it's rather blatant, and it's, it's from a British uh, mainstream daily, the, the Mail Online, in fact. It says, Army Reserve training materials list Catholics, Evangelical Christians, and some Jews 
in religious extremism category along with the KKK, Hamas and Al-Qaeda. Now, even having some Jews in there is a bit uh, much for them usually because it's from the Southern Poverty Law Center, which was a front for, for various groups. And they worked together with um, the Anti-Defamation League that set up as a Jewish group to, to combat anti-Semitism. So um, it's quite interesting to see that these guys are the ones who wanted to change the dominant cultures that they were all moving into at the time. And they'd say the chaplain's uh, group follows lecture material dishonorable and wrong-headed and so on. And the presentation says extremism is increasing because some Americans fear four more years under a black president. Well, this is their usual spiel. But believe you me, Barack Obama is just one of the boys. It doesn't matter who they put in there. The front man's always one of the front men. And it says here, a slideshow presentation shown to U.S. Army Reserve recruits classifies Christians, including both evangelicals and Roman Catholics, I guess that's all Roman Catholics, as religious extremists, placing them in the same category as skinheads, the Ku Klux Klan, Hamas, and Al-Qaeda. The presentation also warned that members of the military are prohibited from taking leadership roles in any organization the Pentagon considers extremist and from distributing the organization's literature, whether on or off a military installation. This is opening slide warns that the rise in hate crimes, see everything's getting labeled hate crimes now if you disagree with any particular group. And extremism outside the military may be an indication of internal issues all armed services will have to face. And it says, citing the Southern Poverty Law Center report, now, if you want something that's really hateful, it's the Southern Poverty Law Center because, as I say, they're a front group, a front group. They, they were pushing communism years ago, communism, blatant communism, and even that was a front group again. But it says, as evidence that the extremism is on the rise, and the Army Reserve presentation blames the superheated fears generated by economic dislocation, a proliferation of demonization conspiracy theories, and the changing racial makeup of America, and the prospects of four more years under Barack Obama. And it's, but basically what they're saying is that the dominant culture is, is utterly changing, because these same groups push multiculturalism to save another group, actually. That's how they hide behind it. But it's very, very blatant, and it says here, uh, later in the slideshow is a list of groups that exemplify religious extremism, including evangelical Christianity. What, what harm are the evangelicals? They're just waving their hands, and they're off on their own New Agey trip. And it is New Agey trip, by the way. It's completely different Christianity than they used to teach. And Catholicism, of course, I've got them into, because they've been a, a traditional enemy of a group. This is an ultra-Orthodox Judaism and Islamophobia. Now, ultra-Orthodox Judaism is a prime tenet of Judaism. It doesn't matter if they're religious or not, the, the majority of people. The fact is, this is this is at the very top of it. And even in Israel, there's reporters coming out saying they've never had such a, an extremist group running the country as they do have today. They're the most nationalist country on the world, with a lot of the world's uh, Jewish communities following them and, and all for them. And meanwhile, many in those communities are pushing multiculturalism for everyone else across the world. It's rather blatant, isn't it? But actually, linking uh, these different groups, you know, Christians and so on, along with Al-Qaeda, uh, which of course the CIA operated and set up, and suddenly Muslims, Hamas and the Ku Klux Klan, is such a joke, such a, such an incredible joke. And it says, men and women of faith who have served the army faithfully for centuries shouldn't be likened to those who have regularly threatened the peace and security of the U.S. Well, maybe should should look at who's giving them the reports. Hmm? And that was said by retired Colonel Ron Cruz, 
And it says it's disarmable for any U.S. military entity to allow this type of wrong-headed characterization. We're talking about a smear campaign, though, eh? And Cruz also took shot at the Southern Poverty Law Center. It says, also appears that some military entities are using definitions of hate and extreme from the list of anti-Christian political organizations. And you better believe that that's what, exactly what they are, because that's their avowed enemy, actually. And says that, that violates the uh, apolitical stance appropriate for the military. He noted that the Army Chief of Chaplains has investigated the presentation and determined that it was an isolated incident not condoned by the, the Department of the Army. It'd be across the board, believe you me. And the Army Reserve's uh, presentation defines religious extremism as beliefs, attitudes, feelings, actions, or strategies of a character far removed from the ordinary. Well, that's got a broad definition, the ordinary, whatever that is. Concedes that ordinary is a subjective term, but condemns religious Americans who believe that their beliefs, customs, and traditions are the only right way, and that all others are practicing their faith the wrong way, seeing and believing that their faith religion is superior to all others. But don't don't be bamboozled by just using religion here. They're talking about the American culture. Remember, you don't realize the American culture has been hammered openly since the 1960s by people living inside America. They wanted to change it all. And many of them came in as immigrants themselves. In fact, they all did. And later on, too. And they don't like the culture in America. So, I'll put this up uh, tonight. It's quite interesting. You can also look up the Southern, Southern Poverty Law Center and read up for yourself how it started off. The guys behind it is telltale right away when you see the guys behind it. And their associations with the ADL. And the ADL also work with even the B'nai B'rith, which is again a, a, a Jewish Freemasonic organization. So you've got all this involved. And it's amazing they don't have Masonic organizations in here, because most guys in the military join the Masons. You see them with little aprons at the funerals. Hmm? And that's a front group. They don't know it themselves. And this one here too is interesting, because I mentioned before that the, the right-hand man of Tony Blair came out and basically said that Blair had ordered him to open the doors to, to massive immigration, again, massive multiculturalism from opposing societies, meaning societies were completely different from, from the old British societies. And he said that eventually this would ensure that Britain, the British culture could never rise again. It would be completely lost. Now, we have that, but for years of the West being bombarded with an open policy decided on at the United Nations back in 1946. All the guys who signed it, all the presidents and prime ministers, agreed this would be the way of the future to stop wars and so on. That was the excuse it was given, but in reality it's so that another group could dominate the whole lot. And it says here in Britain, alienated white working classes, the white working classes, right, that's what's left of Britain, there's not many of them, I guess, should attend citizenship ceremonies. No, no kidding, because they don't know who they are anymore. To help them feel part of British society again, says the Prime Minister's poverty czar. Poverty czar. So you've got all the white folk living in poverty. What's left of them? They don't know who they are because they've had years of indoctrination. And all I've had is white man's bad, white man's bad, white man's bad. So that the group came in and took over, it would rule them. Get into your history, folks. Even things that make you uncomfortable, you have to look through it all. This is that says that um, the white working classes are so alienated from society now, you see, that they should attend citizenship ceremonies with immigrants. No kidding. 
according to, to the Prime Minister's poverty czar. Frank Field said some working class people were increasingly unsure of their identities. Well, did they wonder? That means it's worked. That was the point of it all. That was the point of all. He suggested that going to the wonderful citizenship ceremonies could help them feel like they were part of British society again. What is modern British society now? The old one's destroyed. Eradicated from the history books pretty well. And all these people who are alienated and don't know who they are anymore, what's left of them, uh, feel guilty about things that have nothing to do with. Big guilt trips. Says Mr. Field, who was the welfare minister under Tony Blair, told the conference that society had lost confidence in what it is and needed to relearn the rules it used to live by. I wonder what they were. So the Labour MP criticised his own part for having lost touch with the working classes, the very group which created it. No, the Labour Party did exactly what they went in for because they were basically communist. Their song is Keep the Red Flag Flying High. Back with more after this break. Folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix, talking about, again, how uh, what have been hammered, the cultures that used to exist have been hammered, deliberately, of course, lots of money behind it, an organization behind it, hammered through education and, uh, and the new history, the novu history, and so on, and, and given massive guilt trips and all the rest of it. For, I'm talking about working class people that write the whole lot, people who had nothing to do with the old British Empire, they're still penniless today, probably even more so. And never had slaves, or anything like that. They were just the, the cannon fodder for the armies, and, and of course they were run by uh, foreign powers, basically, that moved in with big cash and created the British Empire. But anyway, it said here that Mr. Field, the MP for Birkenhead, made his comments about growing concerns about the impact of immigration on white working class communities. Like they just noticed that, that Labour were the guys that started pushing in the first place. I'm not kidding with them singing the red flag. That, that's their song, the national their anthem. And you still sing it, Tony Blair. You'll see old clips up in YouTube, Tony Blair and the rest of the guys singing it on stage. <laughs> and it says, um, so it's some of whom are turning to the far right as unemployment rises. So that's what really got them, as these folks are so ticked off with getting let down by the parties. Now they're going far right. Well, I guess the Southern Poverty Law Center will class them as haters and racists and all the rest of it, as they'll normally do. This is in March, Ed Miliband, and you're talking to the Miliband brothers, the two brothers, by the way. Ed Miliband is scheduled to be the next Labour Prime Minister. Uh, their dad ran off uh, from, from Europe when the Germans moved in, and he taught open communism. He, he taught Marxism in the British universities. Anyway, it says, Miliband pledged to limit the number of unskilled people able to enter Britain to protect jobs and apologise for the previous Labour government getting it wrong on immigration. Well, this is a, a real turnaround, just only, of course, for show until they get in. And Mr. Fuel told the audience of academics, in my lifetime I've moved from a Labour Party which was working class dominated, some trendy, trendy London middle classes went along with it, but were subjected, at least publicly, to the moral economy of the working class. 
And so we've moved to a stage where there was uh, that minority. It's in a government, governing position which imposes upon the working class its moral economy. There's a real crisis of representation. And he says, I argue not to have these wonderful citizenship ceremonies just for people who want to come here. I think the poor working class in Birkenhead needs them too. Can you imagine being born in your own country after thousands of generations and you don't know who you are anymore? But that's been done across many, many countries now. That was the enemy. That was the enemy, folks. And the guy who's going to take over again, Miliband, as I mentioned, is from the, an Israeli paper. It says, Labour Party leader Ed Miliband establishes his pro-Israel credentials like never before by stating that while he doesn't always agree with the government, he's intolerant of those who question Israel's right to exist. It says, the leader of the British Labour Party and the man who may well become the United Kingdom's first Jewish Prime Minister, he's not the first one, by the way, put a lot of minds at rest on Thursday when he said that he is a Zionist. So there's a conflict of interest right there. What is he? Is he going to be British or what? You know, you either be British first or what? British second? Third? Fourth, what, what is it? This is what you've got, folks. And um, so I'll put this, these links up, remember, tonight at cuttingthroughmates.com and you can do your own investigations into them if you really, really care. And also, <laughs> back in the, the 80s, every country uh, that, that dealt with the World Trade Organization uh, set up their own part, their own de- departments at a big, big meeting that went on for a couple of years in France to do with the new rules for economics, economics for world economics and trade and so on. So the foreign companies could come into any country and, and invest and eventually leading to bring in, in their own workers too at below minimum wage and so on. And here's one here. Royal Bank of Canada replaces its Canadian staff with foreign workers. And it says here, Dozens of employees at Canada's largest bank are losing their jobs to temporary foreign workers who are in Canada to take over the work of their departments. They're being brought in from India, and I'm wondering how they got work visas, says Dave Moreau, one of the employees affected by the move. The new people are in our offices, and we are training them to do our jobs. That adds insult to injury. A result of Go Public's inquiries, the Office of the Minister of Human Resources and Skills Developments Canada, the federal officer approved the iGates plan to bring in foreign workers, issued a statement late Saturday saying, we have recently learned of allegations that RBC could be replacing Canadian workers by contracting with iGate, which is filling some of the roles with temporary foreign workers. If true, the situation is unacceptable. The purpose of temporary workers' foreign programs is to fill acute labour needs when Canadians are not available for the work required. It was never intended as a means to bring in temporary foreign workers in order to replace already employed Canadian workers. I've instructed the Department to work with Citizenship and Immigration Canada to determine the next steps. It says Moreau, who works in IT system support, said he's one of 50 employees who facilitate various transactions for RBC Investor Services in Toronto, which serves the bank's biggest and wealthiest institutional clients. In February, RBC told Moreau and his colleagues 45 of their jobs with the regulatory and financial applications team would be terminated at the end of April. So there's a lot of angry people, Moreau told Go Public. It says a lot of these people are in their late 50s or early 60s. They're not quite ready for retirement yet, but it may be very difficult to employ them. So it's happening across the world as planned, as planned, folks. Because I say that organization, it's amazing Canada and all the other countries kept so quiet on it. It was secret of meetings they had. No one was allowed in. 
when we're signing these global treaties. And you're seeing it happening in Australia, Canada, across the planet. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, and I've talked many times again about the Royal Institute of International Affairs and the front groups they had too that were part of its organization, and some parts were to, were to encourage a, a North American Union uh, for the whole continent, the European Union, of course, they were behind completely, and they got that, and the Far Eastern community, because we're going to set up China long ago, we are talking about in the 30s, setting China up as a manufacturer, and the, the Institute for Pacific Relations was one of the organizations of the Royal Institute of International Affairs, which set up massive negotiations for oh, 50, 60 years with China, up to the present, with intention of integrating the, the countries around China into the, the, the Chinese, new Chinese empire, the block of China, obviously. They now call it new, the new Asian century, you see. So this is what it's about. And of course, Karl Marx talked about that back in the 1800s, the same three blocks that they'd create. It's amazing how it all comes together, isn't it? Anyway, so Prime Minister Julie Gillard has flagged a deal that will see the Australian dollar as a third currency convertible directly into the Chinese yuan. Gillard made the comments during a visit to Shanghai, where she also announced the city will host an Australian tourism, trade and investment fair next year. Preempting a formal announcement tomorrow, Ms. Gillard said the dollar would now be convertible directly into renminbi, the Chinese currency colloquially called the yuan the third currency in the world to do so after the U.S. dollar and the Japanese yen. So this is a, a huge advantage for Australia, not only for big business, but also for small and medium enterprises that want to do business here. The move means Australian and Chinese firms trading with each other will not have to first convert currency into U.S. dollars and then on into either renminbi or Australian dollars, saving a small amount in transaction costs. Actually, it's, it's just what they did with Europe, isn't it, to end up with the euro. You know that's. Total integration. Once you start economic trade relations for free trade and so on, you integrate everything and the stronger party absorbs you all. That's the whole future of Australia and New Zealand. Because initially the NZ and Westpac will be the two Australian banks licensed to make the market for the currency in China. So I create contract for these guys, eh? But they're international anyway. Westpac's chief executive, Gail Kelly, says the deal simplifies trade investments between two nations. Member two, Gillard, was set up and a member of the Fabian Society, which is a left-wing part of the Royal Institute for International Affairs. They run all the left-wing side of it, which appears to be left-wing, but they're completely international again. And also this article here in Australia again, it says... Environment Minister Tony Burke said he was giving the go-ahead for the Toro Energy's Australian $269 million Willuna Uranium project of two open pits and processing plants after rigorous environmental assessment. So they're really going into the, the uranium mining and so on. And there's a lot of Chinese companies all over Western Australia now, and they're involved in looking for the fracking industry and oil and all the rest of it. So Australia's been totally integrated. And also this one, uh, again, on, uh, on Gallard, Australian PM, to visit China with more data on what she's up to. This is the stuff they give to the general population. It doesn't tell you it's for the total integration into a trading block. 
just like Europe. But now it gets its own special parliament uh, again down the road. So is NAFTA to get its own special parliament down the road. And we've been integrating for years. Canada, the US, Mexico and a few other Latin American countries. And I've talked many times about how society was, has uh, deculturalized. Again, you have to knock out the resisting cultures, not included religions, because generally culture re- revolves around a religion, or at least has come from religion. And many folk, of course, in the West were given a Christian a culture, so they all knew the basic rules, what to do and don't do to each other, otherwise you'd kill each other, etc., or you'd have chaos. Even if they went to church or not, it didn't matter. You had that basic uh, uh, decency amongst you, how to behave with each other. And we see the fallout, of course, uh, all over the place of once the culture has been destroyed. To say Britain, they're going to put the white working class into immigration courses to teach them who they are again because they don't know anymore. Because it won't be the old British culture because there'll be no pride of anything in it, of course. And uh, it'll be a new indoctrination. But part of the fallout too, starting with the massive abortion campaigns, it was a communist tactic even before, even before they got the Soviet Union to themselves. And, uh, and they're pushing this right to the women and all the rest of it for depopulation, depopulation. And, um, as I say, once you knock down one of the pillars holding up the roof, then the rest of them are weakened and they come down much easier until you have no culture left at all. And we accept things so easily now because we're, we are deculturalized and we're already in a form of chaos. When you're in chaos, you're stampeding. The media hammers you with changes and you just go with the flow without thinking or say stop. You know, nobody says stop, that's enough. And of course that's what you have to do to save anything at all. That's enough. But here you go with the, with the slaughter of children, which folk are now desensitized to. And of course they've gone for the elderly too. I've mentioned many articles. Go into cuttingthroughthematics.com archives and, and help yourselves to the talks I've given in the past about uh, uh, what's next, of course, and that's doing away with National Health Service once you've got you all on it and given your injections and dumbed you down and all your brain structure, etc. And, and then, of course, they go for, uh, let's kill the elderly. It's too expensive to keep them, so we take a pill. It's a lot cheaper than treating them. That's where it's going, folks. That's the whole intention. But here's from, from, from the, uh, the British paper about uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, yeah. and it says... Um, Fetuses and blood were all over the place. It says, Medic's graphic account of beheading live babies at abortion house and horrors of, in, in Philadelphia, this, this abortion place. So medical school Grady has, has given a graphic account of working at a Philadelphia abortion clinic and how he routinely saw babies born alive and then killed with scissors. And, and you know, they always push and push for post-birth abortion and partial birth abortion and all that kind of stuff. And then you end up with the kill him afterwards. Stephen Massoff, or Massoff, 50, of Pittsburgh, was given evidence at the trial of his former boss, Kermit Gosnell, on Thursday. Gosnell, 72, is accused of killing seven live babies at the Philadelphia Women's Medical Society Clinic, and a woman who was administered, who was administering too much anesthesia. It says, if found guilty, he would be given the death penalty. And Masoff, who is awaiting sentence after pleading guilty to the murder of two newborns at the clinic, revealed Thursday that he witnessed an abortion at 26 weeks, two weeks beyond the 24-week limit in the state. He also claimed he saw about 100 babies born alive and then snipped with surgical scissors in the back of the neck to ensure their demise. In other words, they were murdered, folks. I won't bother most folk today because even their movies, they watch Blood and Guts. 
He also spoke of the gruesome scenes at the clinic which was allegedly found dirty and run down with rusting surgical instruments. It would rain fetuses, fetuses and blood all over the place. It is literally a beheading. It is separating the brain from the body, he told NBC. He also alleges the clinic's ultrasound machine was manipulated to make fetuses appear smaller and therefore younger. Well, seems believing, eh? Everybody's fallen for that one. The graduate explained how his medical degree came from Grenada in the West Indies and he hadn't completed medical residency when he joined Gosnell in 2003. After two months, he was examining women alone, but he said he believed the intentions of his boss were honest (laughs) and that the doctor believed he was helping the woman, often extremely poor, who came to him. I wonder how much he got paid, eh? I believe that Dr. Gosden was honestly trying to help women, and so on and so on. The trial is in its third week and is expected to last another month. Eight clinic employees have pleaded guilty to various charges while ninth is on trial with Gosnell. Mace have spent five years in the clinic before leaving in 2008 over a dispute with other staffers. He says, I felt like a, a fireman in hell. I couldn't put out all the fires, he testified. He was charged with murder three years later after a 2010 FBI probe of Gosnell's distribution of painkillers spawned a raid at the clinic and the more serious abortion case. Prosecutors allege Gosnell took more than $1 million a year at the clinic where women were charged up to $3,000 for an abortion. Well, you see, he was helping them, you know, helping them. Yeah. This is uh, Karnamia uh, Moingar, a 41-year-old refugee who travelled to the clinic from Virginia, died after an overdose of drugs as she had given her during the 2009 abortion. The clinic was crawling with cats and reeking of animal urine and feces. Furniture and blankets were stained with blood and instruments were, were not properly uh, sterilised. Disposable medical supplies were also reused while vital medical equipment such as the defibrillator and EKG machine were generally broken. The survey in the report alleged that fetal remains were stuffed into cabinets in the basements in, a freezer, in freezers, jars and bags and plastic jugs. Tiny baby fetus claimed were discovered in specimen jars lined up in macabre collections. Gosnell's lawyer denies the murder charge and disputes that any babies were born alive. He also challenges the gestational age of the aborted fetuses, calling them inexact estimates. And so it's in the hands of the slick lawyers, the shysters. Well, it's got a lot of money to pay them, mind you. And it mind you too, I mean, he might get off with it because there's a lot of these claims all over the place and they don't want to open, you know, uh, Pandora's box too, too high. And of course, everyone's heard of, Joe, of Biden calling for his new world order and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't mean anything anymore because Bush Sr. called it, you can hear his main speech calling it, I see a new world order coming into view, etc. And it's always been political orders, which they call world orders. And it's really a war, an order of power and might, etc., and cash, of course. And now Biden's really calling for the international world order. That's what he's really pushing for. And uh, for, the, for the Asian century, just like Gillard, Australia. That's what it's about. I'm getting back to the abortions, too. I was thinking for a second there that um, it was the same thing of uh, Julian Huxley, who worked with the United Nations and UNESCO, etc. And he said that we've got to knock man off his pedestal and teach him he's not the most supreme being on the planet. And he says, we'll promote massive promiscuity because the whole idea was to stop marriage altogether in the Western countries so it could be dominated by the state. And the state would be taken over by the new minority, of course. That's all happened. And no one cares now that you're getting slaughtered. 
or you're slaughtering the offspring. No one cares. Sad that we can get knocked out of you. Well, they're giving that rehabilitation courses for white British folk who don't know who they are anymore after about 60 years of deculturalization and guilt-tripping for nothing that they did. Maybe they should do one for this too, you know. Teach maybe what life is. Because she folk at one time sued up for life. That's the only rights she had. The old rights came from Christianity, whether you liked it or not. And life was put up the top. Not now. Now you're all fair game. And the government's going that way, folks. Also, this article here, too, with National Health Services. And believe you me, I mean, Britain at one time had a good National Health Service system. It worked. And then, of course, all the communists got in big time and all the top positions. They altered it. They called it the Salmon or, uh, they had a salmon organization or, or inquiry into, into changing it to copy the U.S. system for a while. And then they ended up with too many chiefs at the top and not enough Indians at the bottom actually working in the wards. And then brought in these managers, like CEOs, to manage the hospitals. It never used to be that way. Matrons used to do it. And they were above everybody, even all the consultants. And they ran a tight ship. And there was no waste. And everything went into what it was supposed to be going into. Not into the pockets of all the top consultants. But of course, we're in an age of greed. Greed is open and rampant because those who dominate you now are the most greedy folk on the planet. But it says, a $2,000 a day, £2,000 a day, I should say, sorry, for trainee doctors as the costs spiral out of control. Trainee doctors are being paid more than £2,000 a day for locum shifts in National Health Service hospitals as a bill for agency staff spirals out of control. Now, agencies do a lot of nurseries now too, and you paid two or three times as much to get an agency nurse in temporarily as you will for a regular nurse. This is the ministers, everything's ministers in Britain, all these politicos and bureaucrats, warned the National Health Service managers to get a grip on the problem, saying that some hospitals are now relying on unacceptably high levels of temporary staff. In some cases, doctors were being paid rates of £15,000 a week. It's not a bad job if you can get it. The equivalent to a doctor earning an annual salary of more than £700,000. Senior managers at hospitals spending more than £2,000 a day on medical staff admitted that costs were spiralling out of control. And some had become ridiculous. It says that hospitals spent more than £2 billion on locum doctors in three years. And it says this could have paid the wages of 32,000 junior doctors or 10,000 consultants over the same period. North Cumbria University Hospital Trust spent £15,000 hiring a consultant cardiologist for a week last July. The guy had no heart. It's a greedy sod. This is North Lincolnshire and Goole Hospital's Foundation Trust spent £2,794 for 24 hours cover in its accident and emergency department in May 2011. A trainee doctor at Princess Alexandria Hospital, or Alexandra Hospital in Essex, was paid £2,107 for 12 and a half hour shifts in January 2012. Not bad, eh? East Kent Hospital's University Foundation Trust spent £2,474 for a non-consultant doctor to work nine and a half hours in the A&E last April. Despite repeated government pledges to reduce wasteful spending in the NHS, the figures show that national spending on locum doctors has risen by 8% since 2011. And it's all due to the fact they're hiring them from agencies and so on. 
Says the rules mean that many hospital suppliers either take on more doctors or use staff from agencies which recruit them from elsewhere in the UK and abroad. Of course, the agency gets a big, big cut of it too, so they charge a lot of money. But that's the way that the US is going to go too. It's not going to be better for the public. They're going to be plundered, of course. And unfortunately, National Health Services end up um, concentrating on on the more um, uh, necessary cases to talk about. I've, I've, I've exposed scandals before about National Health Service in Britain where they would they would find out as much as they could about their patients that were due for surgery. And, and they'd find out too when they're going on their holidays. Then they send them to come in for their operation during the holiday, knowing they would never get it. So they'd be put off for another year or two. All the scams you could imagine. Incredible scams. But, and at the same time, when they were doing that, and the articles are up again in the archives at cuttingthroughmedias.com, they said that the priority operations, abortions, and so on, and vasectomies, were just going ahead as usual. See, ends up doing that. I know that they're part of the massive indoctrinate every child campaign. God knows how many injections they get now before the age of two. Because you can't have a, 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 a rational, critically thinking, logical public growing up. You damage them when they're young. I'm not kidding about that too. Bertrand Russell talked about it. He was part of the whole, uh, designing the whole system for the present time. And he designed it long ago. He, and again, he worked with the Frankfurt School. And the Macy group that gave the Americans their new culture. Ah, you're in your history. Now, Bill Gates again, and I read the articles at the time when a few years ago it said that philanthropists, it's now time for philanthropists to tar- take part in governance, global governance. And suddenly they elevate Bill Gates to the top amongst other so-called philanthropists, of course. And what he's into, again, inoculating the planet across the world also is into their food supply and food mind you can sterilize you I'll talk about that when I come back after this break hi folks we're back cutting through the matrix and I say Bill Gates, of course, has been elevated up into this position, or he's elevated himself, or the guys behind him, because you know he didn't elevate himself. Somebody did. Big, powerful, very rich people uh, that run the world and their population control agendas. They certainly run it. Mind you, Gates is allowed to enrich himself at the same time with his massive investments into the very things that he pushes. There's a lot of profit in that, too. And it says... Um, Anyway, he's, he's pushing for the, for the new food breakthroughs for the GMO, GM foods, etc., to end hunger and poverty and all the rest of it, and, and and vaccinate all the children. So he's working now with the Chinese government, it says, and the Institutes on Epidemic Control and Agricultural Research, and he's praising new forms of rice, of course, that create their own pesticides that cause cancers in people and stuff like that. You see, but uh, they don't really push that aspect too much. But uh, I remember too, I've, remembered, uh, I've done an article on golden rice that came out from the Rockefeller uh, Association. They were behind the golden rice uh, scheme and they created golden rice. And then they admitted so later on in China, I think it was, that they found that it also had sterilizing components in it that worked on, on the, the males and could actually sterilize them temporarily or permanently. Isn't that amazing? Just a coincidence, of course, isn't it? <laughs> and also... 
A good article says, Global warming was it just a beautiful dream after all? And uh, it's from Forbes, and the, the, the author really takes you through it, so, you know, talking about all the hype that they created uh, for after the, the looming ice age from the 60s, and then brought in global warming. And he goes through a, a quite a comical thing about it, but it's all perfectly true, of course. And it says things are basically as they've always been. And so it's, it's quite a good story. I give a little chuckle to read it. And also... This article says, uh, climatologists are no Einsteins, uh, said his successor. It says, um, it says that Freeman Dyson is a physicist who's been teaching at the Institute for Advanced Study in Princeton since Albert Einstein was there. When Einstein died in 55, there was an opening for the title of most brilliant physicist on the planet, and Dyson filled it. Of course, Einstein was kind of hyped up too, for a different reason. And it says, I think any good scientist ought to be a skeptic, Dyson said. And he, he, he came from England at the age of 23 and so on. He was a bit of his history and goes into his research as well. But he says that, uh, that the scientists studied uh, such questions that were all coming from their different uh, disciplines as to how atmospheric carbon dioxide interacts with plant life and the role of clouds and warming. But that approach lost out to the computer modeling approach, which, favored, uh, which was favored by climate scientists. And that approach was flawed from the beginning, Dyson said. It says, I just think they don't understand the climate. And it says, their computer models are full of fudge factors. Well, that's especially built to give them crisis creation, you know. Whatever crisis you want, just feed it into one of these special computers. They'll feed it lots of crisis. Because it's a big agenda to tax everybody for carbon and, and also to run your life. I mean, really run your life with an iron fist, folks. It's a big, big factor in the future plan of the global elitists. Never mind all the money they're going to make off it, taxing you for breathing. And it says, a major uh, fudge factor concerns the role of clouds. The greenhouse effect of carbon dioxide on its own is limited. To get to the apocalyptic projections trumpeted by Al Gore and company, the models have to include assumptions that CO2 will cause clouds to form in a way that produces more warming. It says the models are extremely oversimplified. They don't represent the clouds in detail at all. They simply use a fudge factor to represent the clouds. And all these scientists are involved, getting paid handsomely, or oh, they're clinging on to, to their to their uh, belief system like you wouldn't believe. It takes a lot of double-think to believe in, of course. But it's easier when your pay packet is coming from massive grants, isn't it? That's the world for you, folks. From Hamish and myself, Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. God or your gods go with you. <laughs>